I'll invite you to open it with me to Romans chapter six here this morning as we continue our study in the book of Romans, our series called Made Right. And uh, I titled this morning's message, Living in Victory, you could say, or Walking in Victory. Um, and there's really four steps we're going to look at today. I always love that when kind of scripture maps out some logical uh, thoughts and processes to walking with God, and especially walking in victory, because I know that's something that all of us want to do. We're going to read verses 11 uh, through 13, just a few verses here, and pray, and then we'll jump into this this morning. So I'll invite you to uh, join me and read along. I'm going to be reading again from the NLT translation, and it says this, the Apostle Paul speaking here, he says, so you should also consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Christ Jesus. And do not let sin control the way that you live. Do not give in to the sinful desires. Do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Instead, give yourselves completely to God, for you were dead, but now you have new life. So use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, and thank you for the opportunity Lord, to dig into it uh, together today. Uh, Lord, these are deep truths, deep theological truths that uh, and can just seem to um, become uh, hard for us to comprehend at times. And so we need to be diligent and to, to study, to show ourselves approved to you. Uh, we need to ask for your, your help, your guidance. Thank you for the gift of your Holy Spirit, who truly is our teacher, who makes these truths known to us. And Lord, we just open our hearts to all that you have for us today. Our prayer is that, Lord, you would, as we, we talk about sanctification and being changed, that, God, you would change us, and that, Lord, you'd give us the desire, plant that within our own heart, to change and to be all that you desire us to be. We know we, we live, in, in a sense, in two worlds. In one sense, we're, your word says we're already seated in the heavenlies in Christ Jesus, and yet, Lord, we've got two feet planted here on this earth, and there's a battle that takes place, and, it, and it's a difficult fight. Uh, it's one that's for keeps, and uh, Lord, thank you that you promised the victory in Christ Jesus. And so we look to you as our victor, as our conquering one, as our model, who to follow, who to look to, and Lord, we do that today as we set our hearts to, to know you, and uh, Lord, to walk with you, and ultimately to, to bring you glory and to bring you praise. Uh, Lord, that's what we want to do today. And we thank you. I thank you for each person here, those that are watching online at home. God, may you bless your church today. Lord, as we bless you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I was kind of struggling how to start this this morning. Do we have any cat people in here? I just want to make sure, okay, you're cat people. I, I do not want to offend you at all. Um, but there are no cats in heaven. I just want to make that perfectly clear right off the get-go. Um, no, um, one of my favorite pastors was telling a story about a cat. It was a terrible story about a cat. And he, and, and he was telling the story, talking about our old life and our new life in Christ. And he said, you know, our, our, our old life, you know, uh, not the old man, because there's a difference. And one of the things I've been trying to communicate with you the last few weeks is when scripture talks about the old man, that, that old man scripture talks about has been crucified with Christ. He doesn't exist any longer. Our problem is, as I've been sharing with you, is we deal now with what I was telling you last week. It's like phantom pains, right? It's been cut off, but we still have a memory, or you could say we have an impression. Well, that impression is lived out through the flesh, okay? Not the old man. The old man's been crucified with Christ. In nowhere in scripture are you called to crucify the old man. 
He's already been crucified. What we're called to do is to crucify our flesh, which is totally different. And in this, in this uh, sharing, one of my favorite pastors, he was telling a story about a cat. And he said, you know, our, our flesh is like, is like a cat. You know, you've you got to crucify it. And he goes, you know, he goes, and, and I, my wife wouldn't let me, he said. And he said, so uh, we had cats that uh, we had. He goes, I don't, I don't have cats. He goes, but my wife had cats. He goes, so I guess in the truth sense, we, we had cats. And he goes, and we would feed the cats, but I'd made the cats stay outside. And he goes, and, and all of a sudden, more cats just started showing up. And he goes, and so I started, you know, getting rid of them, running them off. And he said, but there's this one cat that just wouldn't leave. And he goes, and I couldn't catch it. He goes, he, he was evasive. And he goes, and I did everything to try to try to catch him. And he goes, he, I, I would leave the door open. And he goes, he would literally come inside the house and he would eat my cat's food. And my, I was watching my cat, you know, and not my cat, but my wife's cat. And he said, and the cat, uh, our cat, my, my wife's cat, he said, was, was getting weaker and weaker. And he goes, I had to do something. He goes, I didn't really want to, but for my wife's sake, you know, I had to. And he said, so I left the door open. And then he said, and I was going to catch the cat. And he goes, and it was in the dead of winter. And they lived in Redlands, California at the time. He said it was like 39 degrees. And he said they were just freezing, but they were waiting for this cat to come in. Finally, he caught the cat. And he was so excited about it. He said, I got the cat. And he goes, and I put the cat in the car. And uh, he said, I drove, the, he goes, about 20 something miles. He goes, I drove, you know, through uh, this ravine and he goes, I, I went through over some hills and out in the middle of nowhere. And he goes, and I dropped this cat off. And he goes, and I came home and he goes, I went back to bed and he said, my wife, you know, she, she basically said, you know, so you're the, the great white hunter, you know? And he goes, and it was an unflattering, you know, statement. He said that she was making about me. He says, but nonetheless, he said, I, I did. I felt like I was, I was a conqueror. And he said, and so I began to tell this story to my friends and stuff. And he said, and I told one of my friends, he said, you know, I, you wouldn't believe what I did. I caught this cat. And he goes, and I drove him miles away. And I dumped him off. And he goes, no, he's not going to bother me anymore. And his friend goes, you did what? And he goes, and he tells the whole story again. He goes, oh man, he goes, sorry to tell you. He goes, that cat's coming back. He goes, you didn't kill the cat? And he goes, no. And he goes, that cat's coming back. And he goes, it was about a month later, he said, we were sitting around the dinner table and he said, and everybody was, he goes, I'm usually quiet at dinner. And he said, and uh, he said, and I was looking around, he goes, and it was unusually quiet around our dinner table. And he goes, I'm looking around, what? And they go, don't tell him, wait till after dinner. And he's like, what, what, what is up? What, what's going on? What, what is happening? And he goes, dad, we need to tell you something. He goes, what? And he goes, the cat's back. And he was like, no, well, he goes through this story. I won't belabor it. He, he goes through this like two or three more times. He takes the cat farther away. And dumps them. And the cat literally comes back. Well, the story ends with eventually someone comes knocking at the door, you know, in the middle of the night. And they said, uh, hey, um, sir, I, I was coming down your street. And he said, and I, I, I struck this, this cat. And he goes, it's, it, it, it looks like it needs medical attention or it's going gonna, it's gonna to die. And he goes, uh, I, I knocked on the neighbor's door and they didn't know. And they went to another neighbor's door. And he goes, they said that it's probably your cat. And he, he said, well, let's go see. And he said, I had to kind of like, you know, like, like I couldn't say, well, let's go see. Like I was excited. Oh, okay. Well, you know, yeah. And he goes, and I go out there and he said, and I walked up and he goes, and sure enough, he goes, it was, well, he goes, it wasn't my cat. He goes, it was my, my wife's cat, if anything. He goes, but I walked up and he goes, and the cat looked at me and goes, <laughs> and the, and the guy, guy looks at me and he goes, oh, it's so sad. He goes, the cat doesn't even recognize you. And he goes, oh, yes, he recognizes me. <laughs> and 
And unfortunately, the cat went to be with wherever cats go. And, uh, but, he, but he tells this story, and I was laughing so hard, for one, because, you know, my love for cats, um, you know, myself, and uh, not really. But, um, but what I loved about it is that's kind of, I think we can all kind of relate to that in one sense when we're dealing with our flesh, right? That you just, you feel like if you could just get far enough away from it, you know, that, you know, you'd have victory over it. But sure enough, you know, every four months, that sucker comes crawling right back. You, you, you get, you, and it could be years even. It's not even months, you know, I, I, and I, I, it's sad in one sense because we, we will sit and we'll talk with people and we'll pray with people and they're going, you know, Pastor Mike, I, I had victory over this for years. For years I had victory over this. And then all of a sudden what, you know, like the cat, it just, it, it came back, you know. And I think, you know, we, we all understand it and we, we struggle with it. Uh, and, and how do we achieve victory? And I love how the Apostle Paul deals with this. And chapter six is, is such a profound chapter in dealing with it because it's where he, he transitions from, you know, obviously justification into sanctification, you know, justi justified being just as if I'd never sinned into, you know, God's sanctifying work where God sets us apart to himself. But the, what we start to understand is, and, and there's a mystery in this and nobody understands it completely. Obviously we see dimly darkly. But there is a part that God plays, and there's also a role and a responsibility that we have with regard to sanctification. God has set us apart, but then we are in the process of continually setting ourselves apart unto God. I, I shared with you last week, you know, knowledge, you know, is power. You know, looking back there, just I'll just read this for you if you weren't with us. But in verse 5 uh, of Romans 6, he says, Since we've been united with Jesus in his death, we'll also be raised to life as he was. We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin. So we've not only been set free from the, the penalty of sin, but the very power of sin has been broken in our lives. No, no one can say, well, you know, the devil made me do it. He can't make you do it. It's a choice that you and I make in our lives. And so Paul goes on, he says, for when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. And since we died with Christ, we know that we will also live with him. So it's not just about the fact that we identify with his death. You know, we also identify with his life, the life that we have in Christ Jesus. And he says, and we are sure of this because in verse nine, uh, Christ was raised from the dead and he will never die again. Death no longer has any power over him. When he died, he died once to break the power of sin, but now that he lives, he lives for the glory of God. So you also should consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Christ Jesus. And, and we get that. We understand that in a sense theologically. We might even say we understand it positionally, but our struggle really, if we're honest, is how do we live that out practically? How do we do that practically in our lives? And I, I love what the apostle Paul does you know, as he walks through this. And again, what I love in understanding this, again, knowledge is power, is that you have to understand it makes no difference if you are a brand new believer today or if you've been walking with Jesus for 40 years. You enjoy the same exact position in Christ Jesus. There's no difference between the two. What's different is how it's practically lived out in our lives. And, you know, again, and the better that we know God, the more that we understand God, obviously, uh, the better our lives are going to be, the more that we're going to understand uh, what God has called us to and who we are in him. And so uh, our maturity, it really occurs as we just continue to grow 
in our relationship with Christ Jesus. And so I look at this, and if you're a note taker, you might write this down because there's really four practical steps. And I love to know that the Bible is very practical, um, and especially the Apostle Paul, as deep as this can be, uh, it, is, it is very practical. You know, if I put this in steps, you know, and how we would win or how we, we live in victory, the first step would be, you know, is know that you know. You know, that you, are you convinced? Know that you know. Like I said, knowledge is power. It's not just head knowledge, but it's heart power too. And we have to go back to our baptism is that we understand as we were sharing last week that when we went under that water of baptism, we died with Christ Jesus. I mean, it was not just him there. It was us there. And this is, and it's not a play on words. It, it really is a, a comprehension that all of us need. Jesus didn't just die as your substitute. So we, we get that. He died in our place, right? We say that. We tell people, Jesus died in your place. But it's deeper than that. It's better than that because he also died as your representative. And you think about as a representative and you go, yes, it was as if you died. It wasn't just that he died for you as God sees it. It's you died. You died at the cross just as Jesus died at the cross. He's not just your substitute. He's your representative. And when that's that really starts to make sense to you and we really start to believe it. Well, we go, well, I don't necessarily understand it. You go, well, we're not going to understand it completely, but that doesn't diminish the fact that can we believe it? And you go, yes, we can. That's, that's why Abraham was considered a friend of God. Why? Because he took God at his word. He didn't figure it all out. Abraham didn't remember. Abraham was just confused as you and I get. He's looking up at the stars and he's going, how can it be? How can I have this many kids? The stars of the heavens, the sand of the seashore. How could it possibly be, God? I don't even have one kid. I'd be happy with one, and you're telling me I'm going to have a whole you know, galaxy full. He goes, but what did he do? He believed God. He took God at his word. See, we, we strive so much to, to, oh, I have to comprehend it. You, no. <laughs> no, what I need to do is trust that God, God understands, that God knows. And I'm just going to go, God you know, it, it's like the bumper sticker. Yeah, God said it, and what, that, that settles it. That, it really does. And there's a peace that comes with that. Again, do we pray for understanding? The Bible doesn't say pray for understanding, does it? Never does. It says pray for what? The peace that surpasses understanding. Because even as I've shared with you many times from this pulpit, you could know all the factual information, and that doesn't necessarily bring you peace. You know, God could explain everything that's ever happened in your life. And you go, would that bring you peace? And you go, no, it would just give you an explanation which might add to more confusion, to be honest with you. So what does he tell us to do? Pray for something better. Pray for peace that surpasses understanding. And so knowing that, you know, we died with him and that uh, it's not just about dying with him. It's that, you know, we also, we were raised with him because that's where the power of our life comes from. The power doesn't come from his death. It comes from what? His resurrection. That's why we talk about, you know, resurrection power, right? The same power that raised him from the dead. It was human power in the sense that put him uh, to death on the cross, but it was God who raised him from the dead. That's the power that we want. So we're identifying with his, his death, but we're also identifying with his life. And so we need to know and understand the resurrection. And as we do, like I said, uh, we will be a lot more confident in our relationship with him. But that's the battle that we fight. That is the... The, I mean, you think about, you know, the struggle that we have in this life. You know, I shared with you, you know, a few weeks ago, you know, do you ever feel like a hypocrite? You know, I, I started that, you know, and some of you, you know, you went like this, you know, 
Some of you were, you know, yes, I feel like a hypocrite. And then I, I shared something. I said, you know, in the true sense, we're all hypocrites. And that, that, that offends people. I'm not a hypocrite. And you go, no, we, we truly are. And, and I love the way that as I had read it, you know, and I, I wanted to share this with you because I wanted to be clear on this and, and not miss this. You know, the world says that we're hypocrites because we pretend to be better than we are. You know, the measure of our hypocrisy, though, isn't from the bottom up. The truest measure of our hypocrisy is from the top down. And what I mean by that is our hypocrisy isn't really pretending to be better than we are. Our hypocrisy is being perfect in Christ and not knowing it and living less than God sees us. So it is hypocrisy. It's being something that we're not, but not from the bottom up. It's actually from the top down. And it, how does that change? As we grow in Christ, as we grow in our personal relationship with him. So the first step, like I said, to winning the war is to know. To know is to grow, you know, if you, you think of it like this. Deal Moody, you know, used to hold his Bible up in front of his congregation, and he would say, this Bible will keep you from sin. And what? And sin will what? Keep you from the Bible, Right? And so it's knowing God's word, knowing God himself, knowing him in a personal way. And that's what we've been sharing the last few weeks here. You know, the psalmist would go on and declare, it says, your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not, what? Sin against you. Yeah, knowing God, knowing his word, knowing his ways. That's where our victory begins. Knowledge is power. Knowledge of the Holy One. So verse 11 there, it says, so you also should consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Christ Jesus. So again, he's just reminding us of our baptism. Our baptism was into Jesus' death and also into his resurrection. I love what the, the New King James says in verse 11. It says, likewise, you also, there's that word I've been sharing with you, reckon, reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Now, people, they don't know what the word reckon unless you live in the South, right? Because reckon, if you live in the South and you say, you know, I reckon that's just, I, I, I reckon that's how it is. But reckon in scripture, it, it, like I said, is an accounting term. And, and that term means add it all up and this is what it equals. And when, so when Paul talks about reckon the old man dead, what he's telling us to do is that we need to come to this place where we add up everything that God says and believe that it's true. It's the Greek word uh, logizmoi is, is the word uh, there uh, again for reckon. And it's where we get our English word logic from. And, and again, it means you know, literally to calculate it means uh, you know to add up something to be true, and that's so. When we say, "Hey, I reckon," you go, "It's not like it could be." When we say "reckon," biblically speaking, we're going, "This is factually, matter of fact, how it is." And he's going, and you know, like I said, are you going to fully comprehend this? No. He says, "Reckon the old man to be dead." He's going, again, what is he saying? Well, God said it, and he goes, "That has to settle it." You're not going to fully comprehend everything about it. But it's coming to that place where you're going, because God, you said it, I'm going to agree with it. Now, do I struggle with it? And you go, yes. Why do I struggle? For the same reason you struggle. is because I have a flesh. You know, it's like Paul will talk about in Romans chapter 7. I know the struggle. He says, you know, that there's, a, there's sin that's present within me. I, 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 I sense it. I, I feel it. I don't, I don't always do which I know is right to do, which makes me what? A sinner by choice. And yet God's telling me I don't have to sin. 
that he's, he's not only paid the penalty for my sin, but by his death and his resurrection, he's broken what? The power of sin in my life and in your life. And yet we still struggle. And Paul's going, I, I recognize that. But so what we have to do is, again, knowledge is power, is, is to begin to see yourself the way that God sees you. And that's difficult for us because we were born into a world of sin. Like I said, we were all born post-Eden. We've only known a fallen world. Jesus is coming to restore it back to what it was before Eden. But we've never known that. Only what we know from studying the Word of God. And so we have to come to the conclusion there's a big difference between knowing something and believing something. Would you agree with that? There's a difference between knowing something and believing something. And what God has called us to do is what? It's not just know, but to believe. And to believe means to act upon, it means to rely upon, it means to trust in. So we talk about those who believe on the Lord Jesus Christ will be saved. See, a lot of people go, they, they think that just means knowing. Oh, I know things about Jesus, so therefore I must be saved. It's not what it says. It says to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. What does that mean? Take that literally, it means to act upon, it means to trust in, it means to rely upon. Big difference there, isn't it? Between knowing something and believing something. How many have ever heard that expression, the difference between heaven and hell is 18 inches? The difference between your head and what? Your heart, yeah. And that's why Romans chapter 10 deals with what? Both. It's not just about believing it in your head, but it's about what? It's about accepting it, receiving it, and believing it in your heart to the point that when it brings about repentance, repentance is a change of heart, a change of mind, a change of will. So it's a directional change where we're no longer serving ourselves. It's not like people go, well, I've repented. And you go, what do you mean by that? And you go, well, I just don't do what I used to do. And you go, but what are you doing now? Because to repent means to turn from your way and your sin to God and to his way, okay? It's not just like turn, oh, I just turned away from it and I'm doing something else now. It's like, no, I'm, I'm, I'm turning from my way to, you could say, Yahweh. And then there's where it all starts to make sense to us. You know, James says the double-minded man is what? He's unstable in all of his ways. Yeah. Knowledge is power. Coming to that place where we not only know it, but we reckon, we agree with God. We add it all up, everything that God says, and we believe it to be true. And like I said, because God isn't calling us to crucify you know, the old man. He's, he's reminding us that the old man has already, what? He's already dead. He's already been crucified with Christ Jesus. And that, that's our big struggle, I think, most of the time, is we confuse the old man from our flesh. And our flesh is very much alive. And it is pursuing us on a day-to-day on -day basis. And so, like I said, coming to that place where we, we accept what God has said, that's what he, Paul really spends the first 10 verses here in chapter 6, you know, laying out for us here that he's loved us, God has forgiven us, he doesn't remember it any longer. You know, when he looks upon us, he sees you perfect in Christ Jesus. And that, that, that is mind-boggling when you think about that because of the way that we see ourselves, the way that we see other people. And so we project those things on God. And we think, well, God must think like I think. And thank God that he doesn't think like I think, amen? Thank God that his ways are what? What does Isaiah say? His ways are high above our ways. And his ways, unless God reveals it, he's a God of revelation. If he doesn't reveal it to us, we're not even going to understand it. We're not even going to know it. 
Romans 6, 4, and 5, like I said, reminds us again. It says, for we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives since we have been united with him in his death. We will also be raised to life as he was. We must know, we must be convinced what we believe is true. And it's not because I go, well, I, I believe it. It's, no, it's because God said it. It's because that settles it because God said, God said, I mean, think about creation. You know, he spoke the heavens and the earth into existence, right? He, he just said, he spoke and it what? It was. I mean, the power of his word. I mean, you know, but we think of that, it's just, you know, it's the word. No, it's the word of God, the very word of God. Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will what? Never pass away. He said, you know, that every jot and every tittle, he talks about every I is dotted, every T is crossed and everything that God does. That provides what? Security for me, for you. I, I like how Pastor Skip Heitzig put this. He said, so our theology must become our beology. We need to be convinced and convicted of these truths. We need to turn our knowledge into conviction. And when it turns into conviction, what does conviction become? Action. Yeah, that we act out what we believe and what we know to be true. Verse 12 goes on, it says, do not let sin control the way that you live. Do not, be, do not give in to sinful desires. Again, the King James Version says this, therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey its lust. The third thing you know, that we see here is simply, if you're going to walk in victory, just don't give in, don't surrender. Don't ever give up. Never quit. You keep on keeping on. You know, just if you fall down six times, you get up seven. You fall down seven times, you get up what? Eight. You just keep getting up. You keep getting up. You get up. You do not, you do not give in. One of the, the greatest tragedies of the Christian faith is that people just quit way too soon. They just give up. I mean, you think about that. When you give up and you quit, you'll never know. That's one of the, the saddest things to have to live with is to go, you know, what? Coulda, shoulda, woulda. You know, what could have been? I'm always reminded of that gold prospector. It was a true story. You know, in Colorado, there was a, a, a prospector. And he'd had a good lead on a, on a gold mine, and he bought the rights to it and basically, you know, sold everything that he had. And he had purchased all the equipment until he just basically he ran out of money. And he was in a, a local kind of a trade, you know, store, grocery store type, you know, business, you know, back in the early 1900s. Um, it was kind of like an Ace Hardware shop, I guess, more than anything else. And uh, he was talking to the, the owner of the shop there. And he said, you know, I, I, I basically, I've just spent everything. And the guy was asking him questions about it. And he said, you know, I've kind of wanted to kind of tinker around with, you know, with, with you know, uh, getting into, you know, gold claims and stuff. And he goes, you know, how much you want for all your stuff? So they, they came up with an agreement, which was just pennies on the dollar, right? So he buys all the equipment from, from this guy. The guy's basically heartbroken. Like I said, spent his whole entire life savings and then some on this, you know, uh, gold prospecting and to lose everything. Walks away. And so the guy sides, takes his kids up there one weekend, you know, plays around with the equipment, fires it up, digs three feet and hits the mother load. Three feet. And you think about that and you go, God, was only three feet, three feet. And you think about in your own life. And I think in mind that, you know, things that you've quit on, that you've given up, you can't go back, you know, 
and, and you live with that. And those are things that we just have to put under the blood of Jesus. But but to learn from it, to be reminded, you know, that you know, if we're going to live in victory, is that you do not quit. You do not quit. My dad, you know, he would always t- tell me and my brother um, growing up. He said, you know, if you start something, you're going to finish it. He goes, you know, if you go out for a sport, it usually had to do with athletics. And he goes, if you go out for the team. He goes, you're going to be on the team for the whole year. Because we were always wanting to play on different teams and do stuff. And my dad was like, that's fine. You can go out. And he goes, but if you go out, you know, you, you can't quit. And, and some of the things we went out for didn't really like. But you had to ride out the whole season with it. And some things, it changed you. Because at, by the end of the season, you actually liked it. You know, wrestling was one of those things, you know, for me. I didn't like it, like I said, the, when I first went out. You know, like I said, I, I learned more about, you know, manufacturers of light bulbs. I learned the difference, different manufacturer. I could read, you know, GE, you know, on that and, and didn't like it at all. And it hurt. It was painful. You know, then you just keep going, you keep going. The next thing you know, you know, you grow through it and you, and you learn. And next thing, you know, you start to enjoy it. You go, there can be a lot of things in life that really fall under that. Um, <laughs> I was reminded of that. I well, how do I tell this? There was a pastor and uh, he got pulled over uh, for speeding. And um, and when he got pulled over, the police officer was approaching the car and the pastor was sitting there and he was thinking, but what do I do? He decided he was going to pull the pastor card. Okay. And uh, so he said, hello, officer. And, and uh, he's just hoping that, that somehow they'd get in a conversation. And so uh, the officer said, you know, sir, he said, you're really in a hurry. Where are you going? He says, oh, I was headed to church. I got a, I got a Bible study. I, 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 I'm teaching. I'm a pastor. And uh, he said, oh, you're a pastor. And he said, yeah, I just want you to know. He said, you know, I don't believe in coincidences. I believe in providence. And you know what I'm teaching on today? Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. He looks at the police officer, the police officer says, wow, that's, that's, pretty, that's pretty deep. So he just continues to write, and he writes him a citation. And uh, he hands it back to, to the pastor and he looks at him and he said, you know, pastor, he said, all I can say is go and sin no more. You know, <laughs> I'm not, I'm not the, I'm not the pastor in that story. I'm not, I'm not that quick. I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have thought something. Like I said, my, my response was when they ask you stuff like that is, you know, I'm not even going to say it, but um, you know, the book of James says, resist the devil and he'll what? And he'll flee. There's a time to flee, flee temptation, and there's a time to resist the devil. And, and scripture makes it perfectly clear that, you know, again, uh, when you come upon a temptation in your life, uh, you don't reason with it, you don't argue with it, you just get away from it as fast as you possibly can. And then there's attacks, you know, that, that the devil himself, you know, brings against us. And then the and scripture says we're to resist him you know, in that moment, and, and he'll flee from us. And, and we have a model in Christ. And how did, how did Jesus, when he fought with the devil in that respect, what did he use? The word of God. He just spoke the word of God. The word of God says, the word of God says, the word of God says, you know, it's not, I say this, or you say this. It's when we resist the devil, it's based on the truth of God's word, hiding ourselves in Christ Jesus. I like what Hebrews chapter 12, verse two and three says, it says, we do this by keeping our eyes. How do we, you know, uh, again, you know, when we're called to lay aside the weight and the sin that so easily entangles us and run with endurance the race that, that's set before us. How do we do that? How do we practically do that? 
And, and the writer of Hebrews says, we do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. Think of all the hostility he endured from sin, sinful people, then you won't become weary and give up. Being reminded, you know, fixing our eyes on Jesus. And I love that word. I love, you know, when you do word studies, you know, and you really get the depth and the meaning to that. That word fix there means to focus on something to the exclusion of everything else. You want to have victory in your life? Fix your eyes on Jesus. What? To the exclusion of everything else. Because as you and I know, if you think about, you know, the struggles that you have in sin, what happens? The double-minded person is what? Unstable in all their ways. We're, we're, we're looking, you know, one in the hands worth two in the bush. We're, we're struggling because we're, we're weighing out options. Let me just ask you this. Do dead people have options? No. That's the beauty of it. We don't have an option. We've, we've died with Jesus. We died with him. And the life that we now live, as Paul would say in Galatians 2.20, we live by faith in the Son of God. It's such a, 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 you know, when you put it into perspective here, you know, it, it essentially it means to be single-minded. Again, we're looking to God in everything. It's just pretty simple when you think about that. How do we please the Lord? Paul put it like this in 1 Corinthians 10.31. So whatever you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Yeah, that, that's how we experience the victory, you know, in Christ Jesus. When we put this, you know, into perspective, we, we, don't, we don't give in, you know, to the devil. Uh, again, we keep our eyes fixed upon Jesus. We're looking to him constantly. Uh, and again, and that's where our victory uh, comes from. And when we, you know, again, it's, it's just practical faith just being lived out on a day-to-day -day basis. Because if you think about it, you know, the, the struggle that we have, like I said, we have to come back to understanding the, the old man, and think about this, the old man has been crucified. So what remains? All that remains is the impression of the old man. My flesh, your flesh. Like I said, it's the, the phantom pains. It's uh, my, and I, as I was studying that, it was, it was so intriguing to me, you know, when thinking about phantom pains when someone's had, you know, a, a limb amputated, that they're still feeling the pain because of the either the brain itself is still triggering you know uh, that that thought that it, that limb still remains or it's the central nervous system it's the spinal cord just sending you know out information and that's kind of how it is you know with regard to the old man the old man's been crucified he's been cut off you know from god's side from god's perspective how god sees us he sees us perfect when he looks at you and he looks at me he sees us perfectly in christ jesus he doesn't see sin when he looks at your account, your account from heaven's perspective is perfect, completely perfect, righteous. Everything that was on Jesus' account is now on yours. And everything that was on mine and your account was nailed to the cross with him. And so it's growing in that knowledge because what? We have a memory. We have an enemy who comes and does what? <laughs> he reminds us, right? You know, I have a friend of mine, he's a musician. He said, you know, when the devil, he says, you know, uh, tells you where, you know, you've been, you remind him where he's going. And, and I love that, you know, because that's all the devil can do. He's, he's, he can't control your future at all, right? 
So what does he do? He reminds you of your past. He reminds you of your failures. And he keeps rubbing your nose in it and bringing it. But all of a sudden, you come to the place when knowledge is power. And you go, wait a second. That's true. Everything you're saying is true. But what? But that person, what? Died. That person doesn't exist any longer. Everything you say is true. But that person is dead. And the person who now lives, lives by faith in the Son of God who loves us. And you go, wait a second, but you sinned yesterday. And you go, it doesn't change anything. Because when Jesus hung on the cross and he died, what sin did he die for? Did he die for just my past sin? Or did he die for my present sin? He even died for what? My future sin. So it's learning to see things from heaven's perspective. And so what do we do? What do we do? Do we pray that, you know, God would just Take away our sin. You ever prayed that? Lord, take this away from me. What does God do? Does he take it from you? No, he doesn't take it from you. He goes, no, you, you give it up. You, you put it away. You, you crucify it. He's, he's, already, he's already done. He's given us the power. He said the same power, like I said, that, that raised Christ from the dead is the same power that works in us mightily. It's learning how to appropriate that power in our lives. You know what our problem is with regard to sin? We tolerate it. Because, see, we, we bought into the lie that we can't have victory over it, so we try to make a peace treaty with it, don't we? We just try to control it. We try to just, you know, keep it over here. Or, sadly, maybe even worse, is because we go, hey, if this whole Jesus thing doesn't work out, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to lose all my connections, right? And it's sad. You think about that. We, people can have connections to their past, you know, people of their past and everything else, because they go, man, if this doesn't work out, I mean, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to be in no man's land. And you see that, and you go, but what, what is the real call of the Christian life? Death. There's no past. Just to let it all go. Because otherwise, you become what? Double-minded. Double-minded in all of our ways. Our comfort, our familiarity with it. It's become a way of life for us. And why? That's why we excuse it, because we just accept it. Well, you know. It's there. There's nothing I can do. I've tried many times, and I just accept this about myself, right? That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says to do what? It's to reckon the old man, what? Dead. Reckon the old man dead. And then with regard to the flesh is eliminate everything from my life that doesn't bring glory to God. That we would begin to look at our lives that way. We do inventory, you know, constantly. It's something that we do over and over again. Don't yield ourselves, you know, to it any longer. You know, in the sense you say so we put our foot down. And people do that. You think about it in your life. I mean, you hear people go, I, I counsel people all the time. They go, well, Pastor Mike, I'm putting my foot down. Not taking it anymore. You know, I get that. And, we, and we're good at that, right? We, we, I've, I've taken all that I can take, right? I can't take anymore. That's it. And you go... Do we have that same attitude towards sin? You go, man, have that same resolve. And guess what? You'll have the same kind of victory. Is that you eliminate, there's, there's no escape. There's no, there's no exit. You know, it's not like uh, I got to have a, a plan B. I tell people all the time, you know, they'll go, you know, well, here's my plan A, but then I have plan B. And I go, no, if you have a plan B, your plan B is really your plan A. Because you're looking for plan B to come about because you're not really sure plan A. But if there's no plan B, man, you are what? As the scripture says, you have fixed your eyes upon Jesus. There's no other way. And that's really what the writer of Hebrews was, was communicating to us, wasn't he? If you're looking for somebody else, he said, you know, 
God in the Old Testament, he spoke through the prophets, he spoke through the fathers, but in this in these last days, he's spoken to us through Jesus. There's nobody else coming. There's no other word. He is God's final word with regard to salvation. Looking to him, fixing our eyes completely on him. We can't go wrong at all. The last one that we see in verse 14, excuse me, verse 13 here, it says, do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Instead, give yourselves completely to God for you were dead, but now you have new life. So use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. So again, maybe it's reiterating the same thing. Number four is go all in, all in. He says, yield yourself to God. You ever seen what happens on a freeway when there's a car entering the freeway and there's a car on the freeway and one doesn't yield to the other? What happens? You have an accident, don't you? It's a wreck. And that's what happens in our lives. God has a will. And you have a will. And you can exercise your will. You can say, not my will, but thine be done. And what will it be on that day? Jesus will say, depart from me, you workers of inequity, for I never what? Knew you. You can have it your way. There is a way that seems right unto a man, but its end brings forth death. Is that what you want? Paul says, you know what? You want to live in victory? Go all in. Go all in. Cut all your ties with the world. No looking back. I mean, to truly live for God. That, that's, what it, that's the call. That's what repentance is. Is turning from myself, from my way, from my thinking, from everything that's me, and going, God, it's all you. And you know what? And there's a fear that many of us have in that. We look at what's going on in the world today and in the news today. You go, people that go all in end up in jail. You know? But scripture says, you know, that he who makes himself a friend with the world is what? Is an enemy with God. And I can tell you, you know, it's going to get tougher, you know, as the day of his appearing draws closer. Are we going to stand, you know, for the truth of God? Or are we going to compromise? And you're watching it, you know, over and over again. The church, the church. You know, it's not the world. I expect the world to compromise. That's what the world does, right? Because it's about survival of the fittest, right? Hey, what do you got to do? But not for the church. I mean, you know, the church, when you look at the true church, there's a blood trail that follows the church that leads all the way to the cross. And yet we have to come to that place. If you're going to live in victory, this is probably the hardest step at all, of all, is to go, Am I going to go all in? Am I going to forsake the world and all the things that come with it? You know, sow a thought, ultimately, what's the end of it? Reap a destiny, right? It all starts with knowledge, but it's how is it lived out? How's it lived out? Is, this, is, it, is the Christian faith, is it a practical faith? Or is it just something that, you know, we, we live with inside of our, our heads? Because like I said, repentance isn't just turning, you know, from sin. It, it's turning to God. When Jesus said, follow me, what did he mean? What did he mean when he said, follow me? I mean, think about that in your life. When he said, follow me. He said, and if any man desires to come after me, he said, let him first do what? Deny himself, take up his cross and follow me daily. It wasn't just a, you know, one-time profession, you know. It's in the present active tense. It's constantly, it's continually. 
He's invited us into this relationship to go all in, to identify both with his death, to identify with his life. But death precedes life, dying to myself, living to God. And the invitation really, it's like I said, is, is to walk with God. You know, you think about it, I'll close with this. You know, everything that you have invested into the old life, think about that today. The investment that you made into your old life, what if you put that same kind of investment into your new life? The same, you know, drive and determination. A lot of times, you know, people end up in church because, you know, they tried, they put everything into the world, and guess what? They just fell short, right? Because the Bible says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And they recognized it, but they put a lot of effort into it, right? And then they come to church and go, oh, you know, we don't, we don't do anything, you know. It's just, and you go, no, there is something. You know, there's an imitation of God. And Paul said, you know, I, I want to know him. I want to be conformed into the image of his death. It's, it's knowing every aspect, every facet of Jesus. And like I said, when you love somebody, you, you want to experience what they experience. You want to know what they know. And Jesus is inviting us into all those things. He, we know his death. You know, but the power comes from the resurrection. The power comes from walking with him in the newness of life. It's not just giving up the old things, you know, that, that you used to do, but it's coming to really comprehend and appreciate all that you have that are yours in Christ Jesus. I like what C.S. Lewis once said. He says, if you read history, you will find that the Christians who did the most for the present world were precisely those who thought most of the next. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this. You know, that's the call of God on the church today. It's a high call, is to go all in. And you have to think about that in your life as I have to think about that in mine. You go, yeah, knowledge is power. You go, you know, I, I get that, you know. I've got to come to that place. I go, do I really take God at his word? Do I believe what God has said, that it reaches the point that I go, ultimately I go, am I, am I all in? Am I going to, am I all in? What am I holding back? What, what am I afraid of? Why am I afraid to go all in? And most of the time, you know, when we, if we're really honest, we're afraid what we'd have to give up. Like I said, I, I've had many people through the years, you know, that, uh, you know, whether it's testifying at a men's function or, you know, church, we, we did a thing on Wednesday nights, you know, for years um, where we would just allow people to testify, you know, of their, their relationship. And a lot of them were good, but a lot of times people just glorified their sin. They just, you know, this is, this is how my life was before Jesus, you know, and I gave up all this, you know, to be a Christian. And, you know, then I'm forced into a, a corner where I have to come out and go, you know, the only thing that we gave up was hell. It's all we gave up. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world, but to lose his soul? And what will a man give in exchange for his soul? You know, Paul's going, you want to live the victorious life? Spend your life knowing God. And as you know God and you really start to comprehend God, you will grow in the likeness of God. You become what you think about in the truest sense. Scripture says, as a man thinks in his heart, so he is. 
to set our, our minds on the things up above and not the things of this earth. And you go, then what happens? That transformation starts to take place. And trust me, you'll like what you see. The world might not like it. I can guarantee you the world won't like it. But I think you're living for the same voice I am. That at the end of your life, when you stand before God, what you want to hear him say is, well done, good and faithful servant. Now enter into the joy of your Lord, right? As being pleasing to God. That, that's the ultimate call in our life. All in. That's the call of God today. Go all in. Only the question you got to ask is, are you there? And if not, can't think of a better day to say, God, you know what? This is what your word says. I don't necessarily comprehend it all. I know the struggle, the battles that I face, but you say that I'm perfect in you and I identify with that death. I identify with your life and I want to walk in the newness of life. And I just invite you, Holy Spirit, come into my life. Come into me afresh today. Fill me with resurrection power that I might live a life that's pleasing to you. And Lord, help me to identify those things that aren't pleasing to you. And let me flee those temptations, get as far away where I need to learn how to do battle. Help me to resist the devil, knowing that when I do, he'll flee. And the way that I'm going to fight the battle isn't in my own strength or even my own will. I'm going to stand on your word. I'm just going to stand on the promises of God that are yes and amen to me. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And Lord, thank you for the opportunity to the Lord to walk through this, this book, the book of Romans. And as I share each week, it just becomes just increasingly evident to me that Lord, people that will take the time and to really study it and to comprehend its message and its meaning will experience revival. Lord, it's so refreshing. Again, I, I would hope and pray that those that are here in the sanctuaries, those that would be listening at home, Lord, would, would really receive what you have for us today. Lord, we could, we could feel so guilty. And guilt isn't a bad thing. It's what we do with the guilt. Your word says, and we'll be reading in just a, a few weeks, is there's therefore now no condemnation for them that are in Christ Jesus. God, you're not judging us. You already judged us. That would be the devil who is trying to condemn us today. But God, you are inviting us to go all in, to walk with you, to walk with you daily, to know you better and to know you more to know the fullness of life that you have for us. And Lord, we know that there's things in this world, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life, all those things, God, they, they fight, they war against you. And so we know we have a flesh that, Lord, we need to do battle with. That flesh we need to crucify, but not the old man. He's already dead. Lord, help us to recognize those things today. Help us to walk in that truth. And Lord, may it impact our lives for your glory and for our good. We love you, we praise you, we bless you today as we go from this place. We go in the power of the Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name, amen, amen. Church, I'll invite you to stand to your feet and we'll, we'll send you out with a song today. If you need prayer for anything, uh, we're here. And uh, again, you can help us just know um, this afternoon, three to four, we've got, uh, you know, together we can over there at the Smoke Tree Mobile Estates. If you can help us, we'd love to see you there. If you can't, you can still help us. Just push that out through social media. Let people know that that's there for them. And uh, God bless you as you go today.